Welcome to the People Analytics and Future Work Podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute, and I'm here today with Anthony Abelabanda. Anthony, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Al. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for joining me today. And Anthony and I have known each other for a number of years, going back to his time at SAP Global and also now his time at Trustphere. Uh, can you share a little bit about your background as well as what you're up to at Trustphere? Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, as, as I said, um, we've known each other for a few years. And uh, I used to work for uh, SNP, which is uh, Standard & Poor's Global. And I was running the uh, people analytics uh, division over there uh, for over three years, really interested in bringing the people data to the same kind of like rigorous analytical world that other um, corporate uh, function within organizations were having. And after three years there, I just joined uh, a kind of like a vendor from, for lack of a better word, called Trustphere, which really focuses on social network analytics and really harnessing the power of uh, informal networks and teams to try to give fluidity and uh, informality of teamwork a better understanding to the organization. And I've been with them for about, uh, uh, I would say now, four months, really, uh, and I'm really enjoying every minute of it. Well, good for you. And I know if they're going to attract uh, your attention, given your background, not only in SFP, but Barclays and elsewhere, uh, that they're doing something special. So what is it about social network analysis that excites you, particularly given your uh, experience in running people analytics organizations within companies? So what's exciting about social network analysis? To me, what's really exciting is two things. Number one is that there's not so much work that's been done with it. Uh, and when I say not so much work's been done with it, it, people haven't really leveraged the capabilities that social network analysis can bring to an organization. So being part of the people who try to change utilization of that tool and that strength is something that really interests me. Another thing that really kind of like uh, interests me with regards to what Trustway is doing is that they do that always thinking of we're trying to benefit people and organizations. So they've got this kind of like um, kind of like duality of thought around we can try to look at different telemetry, different aspects of elements, but we still need to respect what people are and what individuals cherish, and primarily their privacy and the ethical aspect of communication. So for me, the social network analytics, when I look at it is, we're looking at a new telemetry, we're trying to bring another elements for people and organizations to be amazing, but we still need to respect individuals and their privacy in that. So, and trust fears mantra is really uh, summed up in those statements that I've made. So for me, it was really interesting. And also just to kind of like uh, complement my, uh, my statement is being on the other side of the fence. Uh, so I was a practitioner and part of an organization that actually utilized various networks, various vendors, and not being on the other side and try to think and put myself in the shoes of a practitioner, but as part of a vending organization, it's also something that really interests me.
Got it. And you know, as we've long discussed, there is an array of services or things that can be done within people analytics. And social network analysis or organizational network analysis is something that has emerged uh, recently in particular, and although it's been around for quite some time, as a, a technique that can provide insight into who's the hub of information and, and where energy is being pushed throughout and organization. So my question to you, of all the array of things that can be done within people analytics, why is social network analysis emerging towards uh, top of the priority list? Is, is Are you seeing that happening? And, and if so, why? Well, I, I think uh, you, you touched a very good point. I think it's an emerging space because suddenly people realize that Things get done in an organization, not based on corporate titles, but based on collaboration and influence. So having this understanding means that now people are looking at tools. As you said, some of them have been there for some time, like Rob Cross and Karen Stevenson have been doing a lot of work in that space for, for, many, for many years. And now people are saying, rather than just living this in the academia, we're going to bring this into the professional environment and leverage this. Uh, and one of the big things that we've been seeing is like, if someone says to you, who are my most influential employees? Why do we actually need to do anything about succession planning? How immersed are my employees within my organization? Social network analytics has the ability to give you a kind of like quantified and qualified answer to those questions, which means you move from what I call gut feeling intuition to having a combination of gut feeling intuition validated by data and algorithm that have been tested and tried for many years. So that's to me is the big thing which is starting to emerge and why SNA and ONA start to be very, very important to organizations Got because it. ultimately uh, sorry, and ultimately, if you think about it, people are one of the most important assets to any organization. So understanding them makes you a kind of like, gives you a differentiating factor that allows you to be better than your competition. Yep. And you know, as you're saying that, uh, I'm realizing that, you know, the way that you collect data uh, there can be passive data collection, in other words, uh, collecting activity data based on what employees are doing or not doing, what they're saying and not saying, or there can be more uh, overt uh, conscious collection of data and through uh, survey mechanisms. What is the technique or, or set of techniques that you all employ to do uh, social network analysis? So uh, at, at Trustfair, we specifically look at near real-time data. So we, we've got two main ways of collecting information. And when I look at data, I'm not only thinking about emails, but we're looking at the digitalization of, or you say, work. So we're looking at uh, instant messaging, voice calls if they're made available, uh, email, link for business, all those elements we try to look at. And we go through organization and their uh, log servers asking them to give this access to their metadata. And we only look, as we say, at the metadata, not the content because of the privacy issues that we want to stay clear of. 
and we then put those into what we call our engine room, which is the trust vault. And in the trust vault, our algorithms start to decipher the data. So this is one way of doing things. Another way that we do is we ask people if they don't want to give us access to their log servers, just give us a dump of your data and then we can analyze it. So it's always based on how comfortable is an organization with sharing what type of information. And this is on the back of that that we do our whole analysis. Got it. Uh, so, so nothing is based on survey. Things are based on information that you provide to us. It could be real time if you give us access to your servers, or it could be dumps of information specific to a certain period of time that we then analyze and bring back to you. Got it. And you mentioned this earlier, and some organizations are, I imagine, very open to providing access to uh, the, the email servers, for example, and other um, what I would call activity data, and others have you know, reservations for a variety of reasons. Uh, what are some of the uh, concerns that you've seen uh, emerge and how are those concerns uh, addressed at the end of the day? I, I imagine it has something to do with how the information is used at the end of the day. Is that correct? Yeah, th th yeah that's correct. But the, 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 I would say I would put it into two or three strands. Number one, you've got to, whenever you do some things like this with regards to information, you need to be pretty transparent and open on how you're going to be utilizing that information. Uh, and when I mean transparent, I don't just mean transparent with senior management. I mean transparent with also the employees because ultimately it's their information. So you just want to be clear that this is how we're going to be utilizing it and this is what we're trying to get out of it. But that's one way of alleviating the, the kind of like the, the fear of Big Brother being you. Right. Another, yeah, another aspect is also what we've done at Trustphere, we can aggregate or disaggregate data. So when people give us access to their information, we also ask them, do you want to look at it from a team perspective, from an individual perspective? Uh, and then having that in conjunction with speaking to their legal and compliance and risk team, it gives a framework where everybody is comfortable with the scope, the objectives, and the results. So having those kind of like uh, approach, which is pretty structured and being very clear as to the steps that we want to take gives us an opportunity to move away from this uncomfortable aspect that people have with regards to the data. So I would say if, if it's to give someone just kind of like one piece of advice is partner with people who have some uh, skin in the game with regards to your data. It means your legal people, your risk and compliance need to be put in the loop before you actually reach out to someone like Trustphere and things like that. Got it. And so what I'm hearing you say, if I might uh, paraphrase, is that an organization is clear with how it's going to use the information at the end of the day. That could uh, alleviate some of the concerns that employees or um, others might have. And then it begs the question, what is an ideal use of the insight that you are generating? Is it to inform uh, managers on how to have better coaching conversations with their direct reports insofar as, hey, you should uh, 
uh, could be nurturing a relationship with this individual or, or this group, or you should uh, maybe be uh, connecting with uh, a supplier of information uh, who has proven to be a, a key change agent based on the insight that you generated. What, what are some of the outcomes that would be generated in the ideal case uh, with the insight that you produce? Uh, I think you you kind of like all of the above, uh, but if I was to be into to go into specifics, let, let, let's look at, for example, uh, someone joining an organization. Uh, we can look at people who have been in an organization and have had a success in that organization and look how they are with their colleagues in terms of collaboration and immersion and do a benchmark against those individuals. By being able to measure the strength of the relationship of new employees, you can then look at their evolution and see if they're trending in something similar to what we've labeled uh, great performers. So it allows you to coach them if there's a need to for coach, coaching to happen or encourage them if you think that the trend is going along the line that you're expecting. So that's one thing. Another thing is if you're looking back change management, uh, uh, being able to identify the influencers in an organization allows you to pinpoint or actually kind of like more accurately target individuals that can help you disseminate your message better. Uh, and for example, you know, most change management experiments fail because uh, you don't reach the critical number of individuals within an organization for it to actually take hold within the firm. If you have the ability to quickly understand who are my real influencers and bring them into your change management team, the chances of you being successful in this change management process increase by 70 to 80% compared to just the traditional approach of looking at your org structure. So when you're asking me about what can you do and what, how can you utilize this analysis that we do? This is one or two of the three aspects that you can do. Another thing is also in the collaboration space. Huh? Uh, if, if, if you're thinking of someone, uh, and there's some work, again, I'm, I'm, I'm often referencing Rob Cross, but there's some work that's been done in terms of over collaboration. And when do you have zombie employees that start to affect the overall productivity of a firm? Uh, if you're able to see who are the people that everybody goes to to get things done and start to understand where is the tipping point of them becoming overburdened, you can take some preventive measures to try and alleviate that and share the load with other people. So having the ability to look at the networks and seeing who's collaborating, who's over-collaborating allows you to take some remedial measures to kind of like keep your organization performing to the highest level. That's uh, really interesting. And so far as that you are analyzing what people are actually doing, uh, not what they hope to do or what they perceive that's being done. Is, is that a fair statement? Yes. So we we analyzing how people interact with their colleagues. And when we say interacting, we're talking about setting up email, setting up meetings, uh, sending instant messaging, sending voicemails and so forth, and sending uh, emails with or without attachment to or CC or BCC. So 
having the ability to look at this, we can then create a map of interaction. And also we can then start to uh, put a weighting in those uh, type of interactions. So for example, an email is not as intimate as sending an instant message because I can send you an email and you might not respond. If I send you an instant message, there's an implication that the two of us already have some form of con uh, collaboration somewhere. When I do a face-to-face -face meeting or when I do a voice conversation, it's against more intimate. So we being able to analyze the strengths of those relationships and then we see how people behave and work. And based on that, we can try to find the ways of best optimizing that work, those working patterns. Got it. So let's back up a second, if we may. Um, who are your customers? Um, is it the head of HR? Is it uh, the head of operations? Uh, you know, who is interested in this work? I imagine anyone, but you know, at the end of the day, who's making the decision around uh whether or not to do social network analysis. I remember, I, or I, I imagine IT has a large voice in this as well, yes? That's, that's exactly correct. So I think a lot of peop people at the C-suite level are our customers. So you would have the CFO because ultimately you, you look at your collaboration that affects your P&L. You've got your CHRO because you want to understand is are our programs that we put in place relevant, are they really adapted to what we're trying to achieve as an organization? So those are also our clients. And ultimately, you also have the CEOs because uh, the, the C-suite people are ultimately accountable to their, the CEO. So we've got uh, an array of uh, people who are interested in what SNA and ONA bring to the table, but for different angles and different reasons. So that's, that's, I would say, the best way to answer it. And when you're thinking about IT, IT is interested about it because it gives them the ability to look at, uh, what I would say, some data points that normally might not be high on their agenda, but they understand the value of it. So what I'm hearing again is that there is a certain element of governance that needs to be employed when making a decision uh, around uh, doing social network analysis. Uh, so the maybe CIO needs to be involved along with the CHRO, along with maybe the chief operations officer, maybe even the CEO. Um, legal has to be involved. So there has to be a broad range of uh, individuals who... Uh, bless this and uh, use the information at the uh, end of the day. Um, if that is in fact the case, obviously the, the governance and uh, legalities uh, from country to country differ. And you, uh, being originally from uh, Europe, you know, have a, certainly a perspective on what is uh, doable there. Um, and Trustphere is a global organization being uh, based in Singapore and, and having clients all over the world. So can you speak to that a little bit, how uh, the uh, use and the maybe the ease of use of social network analysis and Trustphere specifically uh, is uh, or how it differs from country to country? Yeah, I can try and speak to that. Uh, so first and foremost, we try to always be 
uh, and I'm not saying which way, we are always uh, in line with uh, data privacy rules within the region that we operate in. So if you're thinking in Europe and uh, the safe harbors and the, the MIFID directives, we, we try to be compliant with that. Uh, in the US, uh, something similar and the same with uh, Asia and so forth. Now, this being said, if you look at some of our clients who are glo that are global organizations, you would have certain rules which are different based on the region. Like uh, if you're in France or in Germany, you'll have to bring the workers' council into the mix in order to uh, validate the, the future utilization of, uh, of data. So for us, we've got two in-house councils that are actually uh, pretty focusing on this. So whenever we engage with people, we try to make sure that our in-house councils are aware of some of those rules so that we minimize the potential confusion that happens. But working with global organizations means that the lead time before uh, big projects might be delayed just to ensure that we've got full compliance with requirements in the various regions that we're going to be operating in. Got it. And how about here in the U.S.? Have you seen much uh, resistance or has it been uh, pretty well accepted to do this type of work? Well, I, I don't. I wouldn't say resistance is big. I would say there is a challenge where information is not clear enough from the get-go. Uh, so when we speak with some of our uh, colleagues within the HR community, those who, who understand that it's going to require other parties to be involved prior to the data being utilized, it actually shortens and lessens the burdens going forward. When we don't have that and people just go, you know, like an HR function says, oh, this is a cool tool, we want to do it. And then only at the 11th hour do they bring legal into the, in, into the, into the picture. This is where in the States we have some, some challenges. So I wouldn't say there is some big resistance. There is an education process that is starting to happen which makes it easier for us. But it's also uh, a continual reminder of people that it's not because we're looking at people's data that HR needs to work in isolation. You need to partner with other people. And it goes back to your ponder on the governance. Uh, being in the US or in Asia or in Europe, governance still plays a part in this. Uh, and it's only when this is clearly understood that we're going to lessen the time frame from ideas to generation and also reducing the disconnect that can sometimes happen when people have not fully evaluated the risk and consequences of using people's data. Got it. So you know, with that in mind, you mentioned uh, risk there at the end, and I'm really curious about that because I see personally more and more leaders being uh, <clears throat> driven by reducing flight risk, by reducing the risk of not rewarding critical talent. So if that is in fact the case, um, how specifically does the insight that social network analysis delivers, that TrustSphere specifically delivers, how does that differ from, say, insight from a performance management process or an employee survey process? Because I uh, is that an and to what you're uh, sharing, or is it an or? What's your thoughts? 
Uh, okay, so there's, there's, there's two things, uh, and, and, and I started with that initially. When you look at um, uh, talent management or a survey issue, it's, I always call it, it's uh, backdated information. Because when you do a survey, you have to collect the information and then you have to analyze it. So it's not real-time data. The, the, the big difference with what we have at Trustphere is that we, when we give an access to your log servers, we look at your historical data as well as your real-life data. So you have uh, a telemetry that gives you real-life information that can supplement some of the other things that you might get from surveys and so forth. So I would say it's not an end or I would say it's an addition potentially, or if you don't want to have other elements, you can use it separately. So the, the big difference in the way that um, Trustphere helps understand uh, risk in terms of people leaving if they're disengaged or things like this, or if they're not immersed within the firm, could there be a problem going forward, is that it looks at their immersion or their engagement at the real time. The surveys give you an understanding at the moment in time of how those people felt or how those people were. So that's really the big difference between the two. So it could be that you put the two together to try and have uh, a much more, I would say, holistic understanding, or you can try to use one or two uh, approaches, two different approaches. So I wouldn't say Trustphere replaces surveys. I could say Trustphere can be worked in conjunction with server data, or you can just say, you know what, I'm going to try to see if I get a better understanding of my population by using just one technique over the other. Got it. And so uh, what I heard there is that it, it can complement one another. It can elevate the value of the a survey, which, which gathers the perceptions and ideas of people. Uh, and then the social network analysis actually captures the activity data, what people are actually doing. Um, is, is that a fair summary? That's correct, yes. Okay. Now, as we start to wrap up here, what's next for you you and Trustphere? Uh, you know, I know you're doing a lot of new things and that you're growing well, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see you in a couple weeks here in San Francisco for our conference. Um, but what's uh, exciting? What, what gets you um, going? So, f f as you say, thanks a lot. We, and we, we're also pretty excited of being there in a uh, in two weeks from now, but but for us, it's like we're listening to our clients and, and we're constantly evol evolving the, the software and the algorithm that we've got. Uh, and the next thing for us is really to look at how to better combine the quantitative aspect of our analysis with the qualitative aspect of it. Uh, so we, we're working with some partners like um, uh, some of the big organizations in terms of consulting firms, as well as big, uh, what I said, software providers to try and uh, bring our telemetry within some of their services so we can give another element to some of their clients. So, so for us, the next thing is some of the partnership that we're de developing, as well as improving some of the algorithms that we have. Uh, and we're gonna do some new releases in terms of uh, uh, Q1 and Q2 2017 that should actually show this even better. That's fantastic. Well, Anthony, uh, yeah, as we 
wrap up, you know, thank you so much for sharing your insights and ideas. And yeah, I know you've had a great career, which has landed in this space. And, you know, I'm excited to see you in a couple of weeks here. Uh, any closing comments for the audience? Uh, what, what, I would say two things. Number one is we all need to start somewhere. Uh, so don't feel uh, threatened by maybe not having started on that journey uh, because we all started somewhere and we still pretty early and evolving. So uh, get onto one of those blogs or those networks, try to get into a community so you can see if it's of uh, interest and relevance to you. And uh, the number two is, uh, I would say, no idea is a stupid idea. Uh, because everybody can contribute to making this arena evolve. So those, those would be my uh, parting comments. We always need to start somewhere and no idea is a stupid idea. Because if you're thinking of something or if you're questioning something, it might mean that other people are questioning. So bring it to the, the forefront and you might have someone somewhere that has an answer for it or that has a suggestion for you to address it. Outstanding. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, again, looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Brilliant. Thanks a lot for your time, Al. And uh, yeah, have a great time and see you in two weeks. All right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.